Hi, I'm Jake Parker with the What's Your Story podcast. Here I talk with my guests about their life experiences, as well as current and long-term goals, and what gets them through the ups and downs. If you enjoy the show, please rate and subscribe. And don't forget to visit my website, jparkerfitlife.com, for access to my Instagram account, blog, and more. Hi guys, welcome back to the What's Your Story podcast. My guest today is Paul Rosalie. He is, among many things, an author, conservationist. He is an explorer and a filmmaker. I first found out about Paul when I read his book, Mother of God. It's about his adventures in the Amazon and his experience that uh, led him to doing research and traveling in the Amazon and things of that nature. And uh, recently found him on social media and he's doing a lot of uh, efforts in helping to try to bring awareness about and conserve the Amazon. And so I will let Paul give a little bit of an introduction on his end, kind of pick up anything I left off. Well, thanks, man. Um, so yeah, I about, oh, I'd say I always grew up uh, super like hating school and mm -hmm rules and and sort of everything mundane and I, I you know I knew that the rainforest was being destroyed and I, I I also grew up living in forests I mean I in in northern New Jersey and New York State there's just this beautiful forest you have the mm -hmm. Catskills the Adirondacks a bunch of state forests and uh I, I kind of was you know I was always going out on solos and staying out in the forest and tracking foxes and bears and, and following snakes and stuff and then when I got old enough, you know, I kept hearing that the rainforest was being destroyed. So I, I, mm -hmm. I really just sort of couldn't sleep at night. And I wanted to go at that point. I just wanted to go see it before it was gone. I just wanted mm -hmm. to, um, to get there. And then once I got there, you know, I also, I also, I think when you're from New York, you don't believe anything until you see it. And, uh, you know, they say, oh, the rainforest is disappearing. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really take that and didn't internalize that. And then yeah. when you get there and you see it happening, then it's a whole other thing, but you know, uh, so yeah, so at a very young age, I think by, by the age of 18, I was, I was living and working in the Amazon rainforest and mm -hmm. working with the indigenous people there. And that over the years has become me running an ecotourism company called Tamandua Expeditions, where we bring people to employ local guys and protect forests, running an NGO called Jungle Keepers that protects over 30,000 acres of rainforest along with doing all the writing and film work and producing and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, the, the, the jungle has become my entire life. Yeah. So I'm curious, what were some of the beginning influences? You said you'd always been interested in exploration and, you know, checking out the, the jungle and things of that nature, but was there things you read or things you observed or people that kind of put these ideas in your head when you were young? Yeah. I mean, there was a lot, there was, you know, Jane Good, my parents, uh, I'm dyslexic, so it took me a long time to learn. It's funny that I'm a writer because I sucked okay. in school and uh, it, it took me so long to read. But um, my parents, when I was a kid, before I really could read easily, they would read to me a lot. And so mm -hmm. they would read me, some of the, what they read me was Jane Goodall's uh, work. And then, of course, when I was a little older, watching Steve Irwin. Yeah, yeah, I remember you mentioned both of them a lot. Yeah. Steve was Steve was such a huge inspiration and just like so full of passion and enthusiasm and mm -hmm. actually when he died I had just put in my application to Australia Zoo ah. so him dying kind of changed my course mm -hmm. um, 
I was just determined to meet the guy. I knew that if we sat down, we, we would hit it off. So, mm -hmm. so I, that was terrible. But um, yeah, Steve, Jane, um, Alan Rabinowitz from the Wildlife Conservation Society in the Bronx Zoo. He was, he was awesome. He was incredible, especially with tiger conservation. Uh, so many, so many of these people. Um, but I, I really, I tended to gravitate towards the more devout conservationists and, and explorers. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I, I sort of, I remember when I was a kid, there was a, there was a picture um, in the Bronx Zoo and it was all these scientists. And I think it was an anaconda in South America. And there was like, you know, 12 guys spread out and they were all holding this, this giant snake that they found. Mm -hmm. I remember looking at that and just thinking, my God, that's like, you know, they're in faraway countries and these, you know, seeing species that no one's ever seen before. And that idea of like adventure mm -hmm. and, and purpose and that's, you know, growing up in suburban New Jersey, it was like people talked about like, you know, what basketball teams were doing. Yeah. And to me, that was completely, you know, I didn't care at all about that. You just wanted something deeper. I wanted something much deeper. And, um, and then as my, as my friend pointed out, he goes, yeah, he goes, so great. He goes, your whole life is modeled off of a thought you had when you were like eight years old. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, well, um, but yeah, that, that was kind of, that was kind of the thing. So yeah, reading, reading about what other people were doing was a huge, huge thing for me. Cause I was like, well, if they could do it, I could do it. Especially mm -hmm. with Jane Goodall. Cause it was like, a, she was a girl in the fifties, like yeah. going, going to Africa and doing this work. It's like, dude, if she, if she could do it, then so can I. Like, mm -hmm. And that's you know? cool. I know that you've got a chance to interact with her now because she's yeah. uh, written excerpts about a couple of your books. And mm -hmm. what was that like? Do you still get to interact with her very much? Uh, I mean, not a lot. Jane travels like I think 300 days a year. She's mm -hmm. she she has given up um, family and comfort and any semblance of a normal life. She's she, I look at her the way you would look at somebody that renounces civilization and goes and lives on the side of a mountain meditating. She mm -hmm. she has done something so extreme and that she's said, I am I don't care about me. I am going to go around until the day I die with my last breath telling people to save this planet. And that's what she does. And she's, she's walking the walk, man. She is just incredible. Um, and so, yeah, she, she's a major, she's a major force. And, and she's, and she, it's funny because when you meet her, I think most of us are used to like, you know, you meet like an old woman, you think mm -hmm. oh, you're an old lady. Let me like, you know, be whatever. She's like meeting a general. She'll yeah. sit down with you and be like, you know, the state of conservation and what we're going to do next. And mm -hmm. she's talking, you know, she wants to like look over maps and talk strategy. Like yeah. she's very aware that we're, that we're like in like a global battle really. Mm -hmm. Not slowing down anytime soon. No, not slowing down. Not at all. Mm -hmm. yeah. So then let's talk about when you first, uh, you started to touch on it when you first got to go down to the Amazon year 18. And yeah, you know, I remember reading in your book, you met, uh, a couple of people that you were, you were reaching out to a lot of people trying to see if you could make your way. And so what was your first entrance into that? Well, first I, um, well, I think it's a, one of the things that I think is important about it is at first I went to, cause I dropped out of high school after sophomore year because I didn't mm -hmm. want to sit in two more years of high school. So I just went straight to college. And uh, so right away I started asking professors like, you know, I really want to get down to the Amazon. And they were like, well, that's, that's really when you're a grad student. That's not for now. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay. So they, they told me no. And then I remember I went and found like this guy who was well known for being like a guy that does research in the Amazon. And I asked him and he goes, well, no, he goes, you have to be a researcher. So, okay. You know, so really I got a bunch of no's. And then even when I applied for the position that I got down there, they said, oh, you don't have the experience or, 
it's not convenient for us to come out of the forest. So I, I pushed my way to the Amazon. I really did. I had to fight mm -hmm. to get down there. Um, now it's much easier to get down there. Just in the last 13 years, it's just gotten a lot different. Uh, but I went down there and the first guy I met was uh, Juan Julio Duran. And he, he's a local indigenous conservationist in the Madre de Dios region of Peru. And he's been trying to protect his forest for, I mean, must be over 20, 20 years or so. I mean, he's, he's in his mid forties and he's been doing it since the time he was, since his, his whole adult life. So mm -hmm. I met him and he was, he was working on a bird project that he wasn't, that he wasn't very excited about. And I think he'd been doing the same thing for a lot of months. And I showed up and was just like, you know, it, it would be annoying to describe it accurately. I just like fell to my knees and was like, you know, look at these ancient trees and the leaf cutter ants and all this stuff. And it's so full of enthusiasm. And I was just like, I didn't sleep. I remember he came to me after the first like week I was there and he was like, look, you got to go to bed at some point. Yeah. He's like, you got it. You just got to turn it off. He's like, you're, you're, it's getting dangerous. And I was mm -hmm. like, but I only have a few weeks here and I got to go crazy. And you know, so he was, he would take me out and he's like, let's go find anacondas. Let's mm -hmm. go catch a caiman. Let's go. I'll teach you how to track a jaguar. And I was just like, yes, yes, yes. And I was just like drinking it all. And then when I realized he was having trouble bringing people because he's always in the jungle mm -hmm. and this, and this is when I get now that I'm like mentoring other kids, like they, you know, they go like, well, what, how do I do what I want to do? And it's like, well, go find the people whose work you want to emulate yeah, and just go hang around them long enough that they mm -hmm. trust you. And sooner or later, someone's going to hand you something and say, hold this since you're yeah. here. And just like that, your responsibility starts. And for him, he was having trouble getting, clients because he was trying to use ecotourism to to support himself and to protect his forest and so he was just like you know well i don't know what we can do and i was like dude i got access to gringos it's like that's where i'm from yeah uh i can i can i can make that happen and, and he was like yeah if you can that'd be great and then and then that was it it started and then a few years later um me and my childhood friend started tamandu expeditions as an official company and started bringing people down there mm -hmm. just like that yeah, I think it's I think it's really interesting how you talk about just the fact that the the important thing is just to go out and do it, and you you know you tried as hard as you could, and you tried all these different routes to get to the Amazon. Yeah, you know, it's just like if you want something bad enough, and you're willing to work for it, you can do it. And yeah. I think the really cool thing about you talking about mentoring other people is just that one of the really positive things about the internet and the availability of education yeah. and books and things is. If you want to learn from somebody, you don't even have to meet them. You know, go read their biography or go read things they've written or things that you can find on the internet. I think that there's so much more information out there. And I'm sure when you were starting, it wasn't, the internet wasn't what it is now, but no. you were, you at least, you at least were able to reach out to people uh, in yeah. a more effective way. Yeah. And I think, but I, I, I definitely am a huge believer in just like getting out there. Cause like, I, I remember just, just a few months ago, I had someone and he goes, you know, he goes, Oh, like my dream is to be like a shark. He wants to work with sharks. He wants mm -hmm. to be a shark biologist. And he goes, I've been in school. I'm doing my master's. He goes, but I'm always in the lab. I'm always in a classroom. And I was like, well, that, that, there's your thing. I mean, actually, mm -hmm. I, I asked Jane Goodall. I said, should I get a PhD? Because there was a time where, um, you know, you're, you're, you're down there and, and the PhDs and are sort of the, 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 the researchers that carry the weight. And those are the people that people respect. And um, but I was, when I asked Jane this, I was already running an ecotourism company. I was already protecting rainforests. And she was like, what are you crazy? Mm -hmm. she was like, You're going to spend four years getting a PhD. She's like, which is, she goes, you're going to spend four years and like a hundred thousand dollars just to get a, a piece of paper that says right. 
the, you know, whatever. She goes, you're, you're the experience you're getting and the work you're doing. There's no reason for you to take that. And I was like, okay, cool. And it's like, so it was really important to have that direction because you don't know, you get pressured by things. And I could have said, okay, so I'll, I'll go get a PhD because that's what everybody else did. And I'm very glad I didn't do it. And then, so now with this kid who's going, you know, I want to be a shark researcher. He goes, but they always have me in the lab and I've never even see, seen a shark. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, go to like, go to whatever species interests you the most, like, or if it's the conservation of sharks, whatever it is, it's like, go bother a shark scientist, mm-hmm. go follow them, go get an apartment on the beach. And every day when they leave, go help them carry their shit onto the boat. Like whatever it is, just go put yourself in that situation. Go get in the action. Yeah. One of my favorite people, um, two of my favorite guys, Winston Churchill and Teddy Roosevelt, both oh, yeah. of them were guys that like just ran into the thick of it. I mean, mm-hmm. Roosevelt was like this weakling little kid and then he started doing push-ups and decided yeah. he was going to be a badass. And then he was like, I think it was the Spanish American war where he was mm-hmm. literally riding into battle. And the other people were like, this guy's out of his mind. Yeah. And like, that's not a joke. Like when you have battle hardened people going, he's nuts. Mm-hmm. Like, that's crazy. And I remember Churchill was like, you know, I need adventure. So he went down to Africa and I think it was the Boer War that he got into, but he literally was just like, no, I need to be in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. He went. Yeah. And it's like that, 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 that will forge you. Mm-hmm. you know? two, two of the guys that get quoted the most often, it seems like, and for good reason, because they, they were just out there doing it. They weren't, you know, they, yeah. they, held, they held these high leadership positions, but they weren't the people that were just cushy and never no. experienced, you know, the, the rough and tough of it. And both of them could have been little fat rich kids too, mm-hmm. if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. That's they one both thing. from great families. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I thought was interesting that I wanted to bring up about you is that I think that part of the reason why you're able to be effective is because you get down and dirty. You get, you know, you you spent tons and tons of time being in the Amazon in the jungle. But then you can also have this, this other side where you come out and you can be well spoken and well written, <laughs> able to, you know, portray the issues that you're that you're going after when you're doing this stuff and so how do you is there kind of two sides to you in that respect where there's this more primitive side and then this more well manicured or how do how do you see that I don't know no I think there's only the primitive side I think that when I I think that when I'm when I'm sitting on like a news show or whatever I remember I last week I had like a you know blazer or whatever you call it on and I I was like this is really it's completely out of my element I mean I can I can talk good, but mm-hmm. that's, that's, you know, whatever that that's, that's just, that's just speaking. But, um, no, I mean, most of the year I don't wear shoes. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't half the time. I don't have a shirt on. I mean, I guide and it's funny cause a lot of guides, um, and researchers, uh, all the researchers I know wear gum boots. They wear like rain boots up to mm-hmm. their knees. Um, and they wear long pants and they wear long sleeves and they, you know, they have all this gear on, they have like $500 worth of like Eddie Bauer clothing on mm-hmm. and bug spray and sunscreen. And I'm over there with the local guys. We're not wearing shoes. We're not wearing shirts. We're wearing shorts and like walking around the jungle and like, you know, the, everyone's like, you're insane. And a lot of times they try to make it like, they're like, Oh, you're being very unprofessional. Yeah. Dude, I know more than you. Yeah, I'm sure it's kind of like you build a callus too, to some extent. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, and that's a great analogy for everything else. But um, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a surfer, and he was saying how when he started surfing, how much his body changed, how his capacity mm-hmm. to hold his breath changed, how his, you know, the, just him becoming like permanently tan 
like your body changes with yeah. what you do. And like, for me, like the jungle, I mean, my feet are made out of rhino skin. Mm-hmm. I could walk on glass right now and be fine. Um, you know, and, and, and the jungle, the jungle shapes you. And I guess that that's really for whatever it is. I mean, you could look at the physiques of a boxer or a football player or a gymnast and be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. You know, pretty, pretty, pretty accurately guess what they are. But mm-hmm. that's one thing that, that I find very fascinating. And you can also look at a lot of the bodies of those researchers or guys that have been stuck in an office their whole lives. And you can tell, you could tell what kind of body they got mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in relation to a couple of things we talked about, one of the points that I thought would be interesting to bring up is like I said, you're pretty effective on social media mm-hmm. and you know, you're putting stuff out there online. So what is it like having the side of you that you spend weeks and weeks alone in the Amazon completely secluded and then you're going out and reaching all these people? What's the dichotomy of that? Like, uh, it, the social media doesn't, doesn't actually bother me that much because mm-hmm. I don't actually have to see the people. It's very, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you take a picture and I, I calmly sit with my notebook and I write a caption mm-hmm. or whatever it is and then throw it up there and then people react to it. That's fine. The, th- the dichotomy comes from that uh, living four months in the Amazon and then arriving in like JFK yeah, just- and at the airport and then going and doing like a presentation mm-hmm. and having 500 people come up to you and um, do you know who Jordan Peterson is? Yeah, yeah, I like Jordan Peterson. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, you know, me and him to disagree on a few different things, but I, but I find his, his, he's so articulate mm-hmm. and his ability to debate, I love. Um, but he would, he was saying that when, when you have these, when you give talks and stuff, you have these people come up to you and you have like thirty seconds with them, mm-hmm. and a lot of times they're, they're they they want to tell you something that they've been through. Oh yeah, I think or I've heard a way in which their your work has affected them or something, but it's mm-hmm. it's a very deep thing. So you have this complete stranger come up to you and go, here's how you changed my life or here's how this happened. And you, you go, okay. And, but you have to, you have to sort of return that energy and you want to return mm-hmm. that energy. And then by the end of the, those nights though, after, again, after being in the forest where it's like, you just hear birds and you kind of mm-hmm. chill out and you don't really talk to anybody and your brain is like meditating the whole time. And then you're, you gotta be like on, like you, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's just Stimulate like then that's very draining. Yeah. So what are you working on right now? What's your, your day-to-day like right now? Getting ready for your book launch, which is on the 17th, I believe. Yep, yep. So actually the night before on the 16th, uh, there's a, we have the opening at the Explorers Club in New York, which is cool. And that's, uh, that's another, that was a hangout of Teddy Roosevelt. He, uh, he was there. They have a lot of his artifacts from when he explored the Amazon. Uh-huh. But yeah, I don't have a day to day. That's one of my rules is I never want to have a day to day. So in the jungle, it's like, you know, we wake up and maybe I'll guide for a week. And then, and then even that every day you're doing something different. It's it, things change on the weather. And then you find out that there's a wounded Jaguar downstream. You have to go get that. So it's like, mm-hmm. I try to structure my life so that I never have a day to day because, because repetition, I just, I get bored so quickly. But right now, um, yeah, last week we had the media blitz, which I had no anticipation of that coming. I just threw up a video, it went viral, and then my whole life changed. Um, but right now I am finishing uh, the trailer for the new book. I'm doing a few little, few interviews for the, for the new book and really just sort of getting my head in order. I'm trying to go on a bunch of hikes because mm-hmm. once... Once September 16th hits, that's it for months. I have to be traveling around planes, trains, and automobiles and giving mm-hmm. talks. So it's like I, I've never actually done a book. 
I've never done a tour that's this long. So yeah. I, I have to be very, very ready to, to, to do this. And, you know, mm -hmm. of course a book you start, I started this book two and a half years ago, no, mm -hmm. one, three years ago. So you start this project and it's such a long process and you mm -hmm. put so much of yourself into it, but then to actually get it out there, you don't realize that writing the book is only part of it. Oh yeah. I'm sure only a small part of it. And there was, there was a great <laughs> one time years ago, I was, I was at home and I think like my, my mom or my sister was watching American Idol. There's this great singer and I, and Harry Connick Jr. was one of the judges and he goes, mm -hmm. he goes, you're not going to make it. And she went, what? She goes, and she could tell she was like, she knew she was a great singer. And he goes, look, he goes, being a great singer. He's like, that's like this much of it. Yeah. He goes, if you want to be that, he goes, you got to promote yourself. You got to do interviews. You got to be okay with the politics of it. You got all the other things. Mm -hmm. He goes, the, the, having your art is a, a very important part of it. And that's the reason we all know musicians and actors and that we all know people that are incredibly good at what they do, but they mm -hmm. can't, they can't apply it. Um, so now I'm going to see if I can apply it because I've, I've written the best book I know how to write, but, uh, let's, let's see if I can handle, uh, what it takes to get a book into the world, which is yeah. a considerable amount of effort. It's especially relevant in the age of social media too, where like people want to equate the number of followers you have or the number of likes and comments you get on your social media with success. And it's like, that's not indicative of the quality of work at all. And I think that's, no. I think that's a metric, but it's a very small one. And I think it's harmful to give too much credence to something like that. It's really harmful. And I'm constantly uh, correcting people on that where they'll go, you know, I'll go, Oh my God, this guy is amazing. And someone will go, yeah, but he always got like whatever followers. And yeah. I'm like, since when did that become anything? Mm -hmm. Whereas like, you know, how, how many girls that literally just like wear a bikini and take mm -hmm. a selfie have hundreds of thousands of followers. They've done nothing. Yeah nothing um so so intelligence talent i mean some of the greatest minds in the world don't have social media followings because they don't give a shit but mm -hmm. a lot of one a lot of people that do can't generate that thing because social media i mean it's just it's such a crock of shit really yeah well and it can take up so much time and energy too and that's why probably some of the most high performing people aren't on there or kind of like you yeah. said you, you post it and then you leave you don't it is, it is helpful to interact with people, but I think it can be harmful to take in every comment and be, especially if you're going to argue or have some banter back and forth with someone that's really for the most part, pretty much useless. I don't know why people, as soon as someone, even if I do a post and someone writes me one of those big fat comments and mm -hmm. they're like, you know, this is why you're wrong or I'm like, you have that much time in your life. Yeah. Yeah, and that's like just I'm just, I'm just not interested. If you have that much time in your life, it means you're sitting in your mom's basement, and you, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it just makes, it makes me feel like you have, you have, you know, whatever. And yeah. I'm saying that to, to, to the negative comments. A lot of times, people will write big, fat, very, very thoughtful, good comments. Mm -hmm. And in that case, if you're trying to have a meaningful dialogue and use social media for good, well, then fine. That's that's yeah. great. Yeah. And I'll try and try and respond to those. But the, these these internet trolls like even with the amazon stuff i have a few people being like you know you know they'll, they'll say things like someone will comment and say we have to save the amazon and then they'll like argue with that person and be like well unless you're a, a vegan then like what you're saying doesn't count and they'll mm -hmm. be like well you know f you and they go back and forth and i'm like what are you people doing it's all anger just frustration it's all anger frustration and like and you're sitting there staring at your phone go outside mm-hmm mm -hmm. I just want to like be like losers. Wake mm -hmm. up, like, <laughs> come on, man. Yeah. 
So anyway, on a lighter note, um, yeah. about your book, what, uh, what inspired you to write this novel as opposed to, it's kind of a switch from a more memoir sort of yeah. book that was, that was your previous one? Yeah, so I started writing this, well, I, start, I, started, I started following tigers and elephants in India. Mm -hmm. And to set this up for everybody else, um, tigers, there was 100,000 tigers in 1990. And over the last century, we've been shooting them, poisoning them, cutting back their forests, killing their prey. I mean, we've just completely tried to just kill them in every way possible. And now, now there's only 3,000 tigers. And it, I say that, imagine if you had a bank account and you had $100,000 and how you would feel. And then if somebody took you down to three, how difficult would it be to rebuild just with the three? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, and as, as a population, tigers, 3,000 tigers spread all, out across, I think it's 11 countries all over Asia. And we've already lost a few subspecies. So tigers have been, have been the recipients of this horrible, horrible extermination. And the ones that are left are migrating between forest areas. And so I, I actually read a mangabay.com article. Uh, they're my favorite website. They're like the devout hub. They're like the Mecca for conservation news. And okay. they had an article about this tiger who'd fallen into a well. And the, the villagers called the forest department in India and they rescued her and they kept her for two months so she could heal from her wounds and they radio collared her. And then when they mm -hmm. set her free, they realized for the first time ever that these tigers are migrating like on the outskirts of fields. So like there'll be farmers in a field and there's a tiger there, but the tigers will just sit there and they'll wait. And throughout the day, they'll just like be in the bushes and then at night they'll come out and like they'll oh, poach yeah. a goat or they'll get like a dog or something, or maybe, you know, a deer or whatever, or try out a porcupine, but they're, they're refugees. And these refugee tigers are moving around India. Sorry. I don't know how to turn that off. Um, and so that, that was a big thing for me. And I started following tigers myself and tracking them through Southern India. And then as you're, the, the, the things happen, as you're following tigers, you can't help but notice that the elephants are in the same position. Now I'm of the opinion that elephants are so intelligent and so influential on the landscape that I think that they should be represented in Congress in every country that they exist in. Mm -hmm. And people kind of laugh at that, but it's like, no. They're non-human beings that very much deserve our respect and that shaped the forests that we grew up in. So mm -hmm. you start seeing elephants having fire thrown at them, being poisoned. They don't have enough to eat. And it's like, you're like it's basically a war between humans and animals. Yeah. And then, um, so all of that was going on. And, and, then, and then the thing that really changed it was in 2011, I was in the jungle, in the Amazon actually, and this Indian family came and they had uh, two daughters and two, you know, the parents and two daughters. And mm -hmm. the younger daughter was just the most, um, you know, the most sensitive person I've ever met towards wildlife. Mm -hmm. She would not allow me to kill a mosquito. And if I, you know, if I slapped a mosquito, she'd be like, you, you said you loved animals. And I said, I do, but that's a mosquito. And she'd go, no, 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 no. You either do or you don't. She sort of had this very irrational, but, but very beautiful direct line towards the heart of just like, no, you have to protect him. And, mm. and she, she was just unstoppable. Like when her parents told her she couldn't jump out of a tree 30 feet into the gym, talking about a little 11 year old, you know, she was like, she came to me and she just goes, you know, I'm 
I'm going to do it. Said, well, if you're going to do it, let me get in position so I can lifeguard mm-hmm. for you when you do it. But she was smart enough to say, I'm going to do it. I can't control myself. I'm going to do it. So let me do it safely. I'm not listening to them. And she wouldn't listen to anything and she just did it. And then the other thing that happened was on the last day that they were in the jungle, we, uh, we ran into poachers in the Amazon and they were carrying ancient tortoises, these giant tortoises. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this girl, her name is Isha, and she, she just instantly started crying. And she looked at me, she goes, you have to do something. And me, I mean, I, I see all kinds of destruction. I've become a callous, heartless bastard in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. And you know that you can't buy things off of poachers, no matter what, because you're just going to encourage them to then try and sell things to gringos. And, right. But she was so passionate and so upset about these tortoises that she made me buy them off these guys and then we had to go release them. And it was just, it was amazing that she could flip me like that just with the pure intensity of, of, of what she was feeling. And then, so they left the Amazon and months passed, maybe uh, actually a few years passed. But then one day I got this email and I remember waking up and I was in South America at four in the morning and it was from Isha and it said, you know, it, the, the, the email was titled, I have a question about a tigress. And I was like, what is this? And a little, you know, I guess she was like 13 or 14 by the time I clicked on it. And there was, she had heard that in her, in her hometown, which was sort of a jungle area, uh, she got news that there was a few tiger cubs that had been abandoned by their mother. And she was writing to me because she said, you know, you're the, you're the wildlife guy. How, what do I do? How do I get these cubs? And, and what do I, what do I, what do I do? She goes, cause I'm going to go rescue them. And it was just like, and that was that was it. And so the book really was 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 spurred off of those two things: the story of wild tigers and this crazy little girl that wanted that wanted to go rescue yeah. wild tigers. And then it, it, I ended up taking all of the a lot of the true experiences that I've had, like almost being yeah. killed by by angry elephants uh, in the field, and and all the other interactions I've had with tigers and stuff, and really just cramming that together into this novel that hits on different elements of the story there so I felt I felt like to me the most authentic way to tell the story of what's going on in South India was to just say forget trying to make it like historically non-fiction mm-hmm. I'll just tell a story and that's what the guy did with like you know I mean it's so much historical fiction a thousand splendid sons profiles you know women in Afghanistan mm-hmm. this, this and I just felt like that was that was probably the most effective way and now since I decided that I've been sort of thinking about how like so much of our movies and our literature is so completely human based that we never even consider the lives of animals. Mm-hmm. And so with this book, bringing people into that world and having, having parts that are from the perspective of animals and telling that story, I think might be, might be a, perhaps could be a, a more powerful way of, of getting people to care about these yeah. things. Yeah. I've been, I've been starting uh, to read it. Cause you shipped me one of your advanced copies. And I think two things that I know is just from what you just said is, like a lot of the beginning is based off that experience. And you actually, you did name the main character after that. Mm-hmm. Girl. Yeah, I did. <laughs> a lot, of, a lot of the things that you talk about are kind of based off those experiences, but then going back to, you know, making the animals more humanized, I guess, or making them seem more realistic and, and just pure. It's like, you kind of tell the story from the perspective of the tiger, like what's going on in the tiger's mind and what thoughts mm-hmm. it's having. And yeah. I think that kind of pulls up people's emotional strings and, kind of unconsciously it it definitely makes you think of things in a different way i think that's useful really cool 
Yeah, and I also, one thing, actually one of the reviewers on Goodreads, uh, she said something about like, uh, she goes, it was nicely written, she goes, but I couldn't finish this book, A, because it was too brutal towards animals, and B, because I found the parts from the tiger's perspective unrealistic. And I, I won't, but I kind of wanted to like reach out to this woman and be like, just so you know, years of research went into this and there's mm -hmm. nothing that the tiger thinks in this book or does that hasn't or doesn't happen in real life. Like mm -hmm. I tried to make the animal's perspective for both the tigers and the elephants, all things that are true. So like there's a scene with the tribal boy where I describe when his little sister is going to be born and the elephant's trunk being on his mother's stomach. Mm -hmm. I know people who've been pregnant and who, who care for herds of elephants and the elephants are very aware that you have a baby cooking. Wow, that's amazing. You're pregnant. Like they know this. And when you, we all, we all can go through our lives until you're around these animals. Um, it seems like, oh, there's no way an animal. No, they're like, whoa, what is it? They're smelling the stomach and they're like checking it out and they're extra careful around someone that's pregnant. Like they understand all that. So it's like, you know, all those things. It's funny because a few people have mentioned like, oh, come on, you with the, with the way these animals are. I'm like, no, this is all of it. Everything. I could defend every single thing that happens mm -hmm. in that book. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been loving it so far. I'll definitely have to uh, write a review on there once I finish. Yes, please. My God, it helps so much. Thank you. So based on uh, another thing that you've been spending a lot of time on is trying to bring awareness to the fires that have been going on in the Amazon. So yeah. you want to talk a little bit about that and why that's important to you and just uh, sort of in that area? Sure. And, and so, well, I guess I'll start it with that. Last week, my wife came to me, first of all, every year the, the, in the dry season, the Amazon burns. That's just the way it goes. Um, and every year I go and I try and rescue what animals I can out of, the, mm -hmm. out, of the, out of the fires. And this year, I guess last week, my wife came to me and she was really upset. And she was like, you know, the, they said the, the fires are really bad. And she showed me the pictures of Sao Paulo and the, the smoke. And I did one of those things where it was like, it was a normal day and I didn't want to deal with it. And I always mm -hmm. deal with this shit. And I was just like, just, uh, I just told, I was like, no, no, I don't want to talk about it. And then it, it kept playing in my head and I went on my computer and I, and I took out the footage I filmed earlier this year and uh, you know, I put it on Instagram and then, you know, I put my, I don't, I sleep, I don't, I don't know why everyone thinks it's okay to sleep in the same room as their phones, but I put mm -hmm. my phone away, went to bed. And when I woke up in the morning, it had vibrated off the table onto the phone oh, and it was it had ex like the phone had like exploded and like, but with activity and like the battery was gone. And I had like 20,000 more followers than I'd had the night before. And like everything went crazy and instantly like MSNBC was calling me. And I was just like, mm -hmm. I've been working for 13 years trying to get people to listen to me about the Amazon and just on a whim, just happened to put up like a, a random video and just everyone shared it. Mm -hmm. So, um, and for anybody that hasn't seen it, that video was me standing in burning forest, just basically being furious and talking about how you know ridiculous it is that we're letting this forest burn and then um so yeah so we're seeing fires burn this year not that much more than they've been burning every year which is which is one of the things like i'm really excited that everyone has so much sympathy for the amazon right now but the problem is that everyone is acting as if this is this year or this is like yeah. an isolated event and not something that we've been allowing to happen for for decades um, and also, I mean, it's just, it's just, and I, you can't fault people because most people don't spend their life studying this stuff, but first, you know, the, the misconceptions I've seen are that first of all, people 
a lot of people are saying we have to go to Brazil and put out the fires. You can't put out 70,000 different mm -hmm. fires. The other thing is these aren't wildfires. They're not, they're not a natural part of the Amazon. These are set by farmers who are burning the Amazon so that they can put cows on it. Um, you know, and then the other thing is that it's not even just an Amazonian issue. It's, the, it's burning in Indonesia. It's burning in Africa. We're just, we're just, we just keep cutting back rainforests. And aside from the resources that we all get, aside from the climate implications, we're losing so many species and individual lives in the terms of wildlife. Like animals are just being incinerated in these fires. And the, the last one that somehow gets le left for last always is that indigenous people live in these forests. Yeah. There's cultures and, and knowledge systems and medicines, entire languages are being, are being pushed aside as this happens. So it's like, it's just absolute insanity. Like, so you could, you could, it's like, it's like saying like, why shouldn't I like drink gasoline right now? And it's like, well, you know, I could make you like a hundred reasons why that's more moronic mm -hmm. thing to do. Like, this is just, this is just, it's it almost it almost makes you lost for words because you're like okay so we only have like six percent of our land that's rainforest mm -hmm. let's just let corporations mindlessly destroy it it just it doesn't make any sense and I think that like if a guy like Teddy Roosevelt was alive today he'd like get on a horse mm -hmm. and just be like like we are leading the revolution mm -hmm. it just people today have become so like well I'll write a note to my lawyer or yeah like, you know I'm very upset I'll do a post it's mm -hmm. like, get outside well, you know. And a lot of it kind of, I think, comes back to there's so much of a prioritization on short-term gratification and short-term profits if you're talking about business. And I yeah. think that's probably where a lot of the harm is, is, yeah, they can see these gains uh, mm -hmm. economically and monetarily in the short term, but they're not thinking about the long-term uh, things that they're doing to, to our environment. Yeah, and it's also, there's like a human kind of blindness that, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the leaders like let's say in Indonesia, they're allowing these corporations to go and just like shave 10,000 miles of rainforest and put palm oil plantations there because mm -hmm. the corporations are giving money to the leaders and then they, they put it in like Lay's potato chips and sell it to us. Mm -hmm. And most of the people eating the chips don't know it. And we don't need palm oil in those, in those chips. It's completely useless. So the whole process is stupid. In the Amazon, you have these local farmers who are not the indigenous people. These are people, mm -hmm. just Brazilians. Yes, they're, they're from Brazil, but the tribes are not the people cutting the forest. It's these outside farmers that are coming into the forest and setting fire and putting these big cow farms. Cause yes, that helps Brazil. But um, I had an economist explaining to me the other day that if they, if they do cut the Amazon back to the point where we start seeing significant de decline in precipitation, well, Brazil is an international powerhouse for, for agricultural production and they supply so much of Asia and they, their export for agriculture is mm -hmm. So they, long-term, they're gonna be really killing themselves. Yeah. Um, and, and this, we just have to have a revolution of thought, really, just in terms of like, okay, so ecosystems create the things that keep us alive. I mean, again, it's so derpy, like it's so mm -hmm. stupid. Um, you know, like, oh, like if, I mean, you see it in India. I just, I'm trying to get this op-ed out there right now that I just wrote about how I, I feel like I get to time travel Mm -hmm. I feel like I get to see the ghost of climate future because in the Amazon you have big big forests and you know you have a few people scattered through there and then in India you just have humans everywhere and there's a few little patches of forest and you see things like Pepsi came in a few years ago and built a built a Pepsi factory on this river polluted the shit out of it 
so that downstream, even the goats couldn't drink the water. This, this wow. river was dead. The fish were dead. It was polluted. And like 10 million people downriver had, no, had nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. That river was the thing they survived on. That was it. So, so it's gone now. And, you, and there's not really like great laws on the books for like how to get back at an entire corporation for something like that. Mm-hmm. But like that should be murder. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's, a, that's an attack. And so we really have to, you know, start reimagining this stuff. And we're definitely, definitely the last generation that's going to mm-hmm. have the chance to pull it back. Yeah. I think you can really apply this towards a lot of things, but especially when you talk about climate change and resource allocation, preservation, it's just it seems like it's always short term versus long term. It's like people see their these, you know, profits going up and stuff like that and they don't think about what the what the future of the earth is gonna be like for our our kids and our kids' kids and mm-hmm. just the the conserving animal life and wildlife and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Is there what what sort of things do you like to sort of hit on to help that reach home for people? Because I think part of the the struggle is it's so abstract and people go, Oh, that doesn't impact me, so why should I care? If you're talking well, yeah, I mean, most people, we have a hard enough time with like diversity amongst humans. Mm-hmm. Getting people to care about animals is like a whole other thing. So like, I don't even try for that. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't, I usually don't talk about climate change either because mm-hmm. for most people, they still are like, well, yeah, you know, climate change, but kind of really, especially in the business world, they tend to, you know, most people tend to be like, well, you know, come on. Like, but so what I try and give them is the measurables that mm-hmm. you know, we've lost 50% of the wildlife on this planet we're our ocean fisheries are collapsing and 3 billion people still depend on the oceans for their primary source of protein. And the fact that there's water crises all over the planet, people don't have fresh water to drink mostly because of the transition and how we're using our land and that causing forest to become uh, not as productive in terms of producing rain. And it's Mm -hmm. like, so yeah, these are things are, I was on Fox once and I was like, the guy was going, you're a tree hugger. He goes, you're a greenie. And I was like, dude, I was like, if ecosystems collapse, it's going to be terrible for business. I was like, that's going to hurt your wallet worse than anything else. Speaking their language. Trying to speak their language. Yeah. And like, um, I just, I just, I don't see the logic in it. And I don't, and I don't think, um, it just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I think that the, the, the thing is, is like, we can fix this so easily like these aren't hard problems to fix. It's just, we gotta, we gotta actually do it. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's funny watching people watch themselves. I mean, like the Bahamas is underwater right now because yeah. of that hurricane. It's like, that shit's going to get worse every year. Mm-hmm. We're hitting that point where it's just going to keep getting worse because we are doing the climate now. Like yeah. we can see it. Yeah. Well, since, uh, since we're almost out of time here, I'll ask uh, my couple last questions. So sure. that was kind of a good lead into one thing I wanted to talk about is people want to think, oh, this doesn't apply to me. You know, like I want to, I want to help, but it's not, there's not anything I can do. It's just bigger than me. So what would you say to like, what are things that people can do uh, on their day-to-day basis? What are a few things that we can change? Even if we we're not going to go and donate huge amounts of money or donate huge amounts of our time, like day-to-day, what can we do differently? First of all, most people donating, like, I mean, I have friends that like, you know, they're, they're working nine to fives. They Uh have, they don't, they don't have a lot of excess income and they're like, they care a lot and they're like, I got to donate. It's like, dude, you know, donating $15, like, great. If you can afford a Netflix account, you can probably make a small donation. And yeah, a few million of those will do great. But these are, this, these, these problems are so big. So like, I honestly think like 
people have a lot of power in their own communities. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the Amazon isn't the most, you know, yes, it's a very important thing that we got to fix that. But it's like, right here in New York, they're, they're doing, they're cutting off land and doing developments. Like, stop that. Mm -hmm. You're, 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 you can stop things in your local community from, from, from hurting wildlife and hurting, you know, local people, whatever it is. Um, And uh, that spread all over the world has a huge effect. If you do want to talk about the faraway places like Indonesia and the Amazon, um, in Indonesia, we've seen huge success with people refusing to buy products that hurt the Amazon. Because if you mm-hmm. tell Nutella, for example, that uses a ton of palm oil and Nutella that everyone loves, um, that's it. We're not buying Nutella. And if, if, if all of the, the customers of Nutella suddenly said, we're not doing it until you start, not only stop cutting down Indonesian rainforests, but start you know, helping them, they would do it in a second. Mm-hmm. They're a company. That's what they're made for. So you have complete consumer power there to vote with your wallet. And, you know, some people, most people I know actually go, yeah, but it's just me. What does it mm-hmm. matter? It's a teardrop exactly. in the ocean. It's like, well, that, that mentality is going to, that's just the entire world's going to die. Congratulations. Um, and then, of course, the biggest one, stop putting people in office that don't care about the environment. Mm-hmm. We keep putting these old, confused corporate guys in office that have never been outside, that don't give a shit about the environment, and they allow this stuff. And when the oil companies come and they take you know, campaign endorsements, we should not be putting anybody in office that's going to hurt the environment. That's mm-hmm. not, that doesn't have a great environment. But right now, I, I mean, even the head of the EPA, they said it was just terrible right now. So I mean, we just, we got to actually, people aren't participating in government anymore. They're not participating in the things that they believe in anymore. It's very, very strange time of, of weird apathy mm-hmm. where people don't like take part in the thing. They don't think that they have a voice um, or that they can do anything. And I, I think figuring out how to, how to do, how to change that. Maybe it's too noisy out there. Maybe because mm-hmm. the inter- internet, maybe, maybe people are just confused about what direction we're going. But I just think that, that, um, people got to wake up that yeah that and I think there's there's so much separation between parties and things like that and people got to realize like the conservation of earth like our earth is not a democratic or republican yeah. issue it's it's our earth and it's our survival it's the place that we live and so it's yeah. bigger, it's bigger it's much bigger than parties or anything trivial like that it is and this issue has the opportunity to unite that because mm-hmm. at this point this, this country is like broken when I come home from the Amazon or from India and I come back to the U.S. I'm always horrified um i sometimes i like you know open my laptop like it's like a storm coming at me it's Mm -hmm. like you just you see or like you're in you know somewhere and they have like the news on and they're just like chattering all this stuff and he said she said they did this Mm -hmm. none of it matters um it's just it's just craziness and it's these are these are problems we could fix so so that's that's the that's the good part is that is that it's not too late to fix a lot of this Mm -hmm. shit um but yeah yeah. All right. Well, I know you got to run, but I want to ask you the last question I ask everybody on the show. And Hit me. As a longtime thinker, I know that this is something I've, I've seen you talk about uh, before, but what do you want your story to be at the end of the day? If, if you see the things that you're working on come to fruition and you see yourself living a successful life, what, what do you want the story of your life to be? Um, I, I think I'd be really happy if I, I protected more rainforest than anyone else in history. I think mm-hmm. that's my, that's my, my grand slam would be knowing how many animals 
we're safe. Because right now I'm protecting 30,000. And sometimes when, when things get crazy and I'm thinking about all the destruction, I go, you know what? Well, on that land, all the monkeys are asleep tonight and everything else. You know, like all, all those animals are safe. Mm -hmm. And that river is running clean. Um, and the more of that that I could do, I think that that would be a really great legacy. And uh, in, in the process of doing that, I would definitely um, allow myself at some point enough time to go explore all those places. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't think I have the, the commitment that Jane has where I could just say, forget my, forget mm -hmm. my own enjoyment. I think I, I'd have to still go on some crazy adventures because that's at the end of the day, that's what I love doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's it for me is just, I want to just protect wildlife. So we're, we're, do, we're protecting as much as we can in the Amazon and with the girl and the tiger, I'm actually trying to protect, we're actually trying to start a reserve in India, like a way station. Yeah. So like as tigers are migrating, they can stop in this forest and you know, there's going to be zero um, human influence there. They're totally mm -hmm. safe. No one's going to hunt them. No one's going to bother them. We can have deer there for them to eat um, and just support them. So if we can keep, you know, and that's the thing I've been doing is connecting people to conservation. Mm -hmm. So saying, look, you want to help? here's how jungle keepers is going to yeah. help protect spots in the Amazon. You want to help come with us. We'll employ the local guys to protect their forest instead of destroying it. And so like, I'm, I just, my thing is trying to connect people to conservation because if, if you can make people feel like they can do something, mm -hmm. then they will, because most people are good. Most people actually do want to help and, and do the right thing. And I think that, you know, that's, that's to me, that's um, it's the best work I can think of doing. And, at the same time, if you said, what do you want to do? You could do anything on earth. You could be an astronaut, mm -hmm. you could do whatever. I mean, aside from like having superhero powers, this, <laughs> this is the work that I would want to do if I could do anything. So, so yeah. Well, that's a great note to end on. Paul, I want to thank you for coming on today. I think it was a uh, very informative and interesting. And uh, we talked about a lot of different things you have going. So I'll include some links to where people can find your Appreciate work. Appreciate that. Thank you. Find things where they can uh, see where you've expanded on the things you've talked about. But I want to thank you again, and I want to wish you the best of luck. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you for having me on. All right. The Girl and the Tiger coming out on the 17th. And Paul will continue to post on his social media website. Like I said, I'll include all of that. So thanks again. This has been the What's Your Story podcast. I'm Jake Parker. I hope you enjoyed the show and will tune in again next time. If you're so inclined, please send this episode to a family member or friend you think might enjoy it. And it would really be awesome if you could rate, review, and or subscribe to the podcast. It sure helps me out a ton. Thanks.